Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. Hello, Ben and Nathan, exclamation point. I'm a lawyer, loyal, not a lawyer. I'm a loyal user of LSAT Demon and just got my October scores back. I have a few questions for y'all. One, do people usually reach their full potential after taking a few tests? No. Two, is it bad to take the LSAT four-ish times? Ooh, it depends what we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about taking the official test four-ish time. That first question made me think like that it was Practice about test. prep. Yeah. But the second question makes me think that the first question is about actually taking the official test. And so then at that point, I worry that you might not be doing enough practice tests and you're just kind of rolling the dice over and over and over on the official test, which is not a great plan. Different people reach their potential in on completely different timelines. For some people, it's going to be a month or two. Other people, it's going to be a year or two. Let's let's read this and see what else PY yeah. has to say. Some background information. I've been using Demon Basic for about three months. I started with a diagnostic of 150-ish. PY, you like the ish. Not sure about the exact number. To a 162. That's the first time you took a timed test in the demon. And then to a 177 a week before the October LSAT. Okay. So you went from the 150s to 177 in your prep. That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. The average of my last five prep tests before my October LSAT was 173 to 174. Yeah, that's your average. I'm curious what your range is. But anyways, however, in the actual test, I assume that the very difficult reading comp section, we'll edit this out, is the exper- was the experimental and let my guard down. Mm. I also... Mm, yeah, that, that's a really bad mistake. That's that's, uh, that's super bad mojo, man. Like you're 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 thinking about the experimental section. I hate that. You got to stop. You got to stop that. As far as yeah, you know, and this is weird too because it's like, oh, this this passage was difficult. Therefore, this whole section is probably experimental. Why couldn't it just be a hard reading comp passage, which it turned out to be? Yeah, that's insane. I mean, you. And, you know, it also probably wasn't as hard as you think it was like you, you, I mean, you had a hard time with it, but the, the right answers are going to be defensible based on what it said in that passage. And so I I fear that people might, cause I, I just know that people do this. They, they have the experimental section as this like boogeyman in their head. And then when they see something challenging, it's easy for them to go, oh, that's the experimental section. You know, that that, that one, this one's not going to count for me. And they want it to be the experimental section. Right. So they they come up with whatever reason they can to believe that it is. Yeah, right. It's wishful thinking, you know, and you're and you know what you're not thinking about. You're not thinking about that actual reading comprehension passage that's in front of your face. Yeah. And then you're going to just completely crash and burn. So that's you got to stop doing that. I mean, when you're taking the official test, you cannot tell that it's a, an experimental section unless they nope. tell you that it's an experimental section, which they have actually done once before. But otherwise, 
you need to assume that this is a scored section always. And that's a, yeah, that's your, your error there. I mean, that's just a mental game uh, mistake. Yep. Okay. But so far though, it sounds like PY has only taken the test officially once. So I'm confused yeah. about the four ish times, but we'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, so PY continues. So, he let his guard down, he or she, and didn't do well with games, which apparently is historically my weak spot oh, and geez. ended up with a 170. No, what are you doing? OK, I mean, yeah, so chalk it up to a bad day, but also get better at games so that you're going to score ga- perfect on games every time. Yep. He uh, PY continues. I'm happy with a 170, but really want to reach my potential and be greedy like you guys have always recommended. I want to apply with a 175 and am planning to take the test for two to three more times next year before I apply in September. What do you all think of my plan? Thanks again for being so awesome. Okay, well, I don't really care that you're thinking about taking it multiple times as long as you're just focused on the next one and being ready for the next one. Yeah, you should you should go ahead and plan on. Yeah, you're going to kick ass on the next one and you're going to have a backup for that. Yep. And if you end up using the backup, you're going to kick ass on that one and have a backup for that. Yep. The only time that's not going to be the case is when you get you know closer to your limit. But four times is you're 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 going to be able to do that and then apply in September. And so I love it. I especially love that you want to be greedy here. I mean, and and to be honest, I don't think you should be happy with your 170. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad score. I'm just saying you can do better for some people. That would be a dream score. And I would tell them you should be over the moon about that. But for you, you've documented that you can actually score a 177 on a practice test and five average in 173 to 174. You should not be happy with that 170. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, whatever. You'll never be a 169 ever again. It, you know, the law schools are going to consider you as at least a 170 forever for the rest of your life. And that's cool. Yep. But you need to take it again and you potentially need to take it again multiple times because otherwise you're going to be like clearly not getting a score on record that really represents what you're capable of. Agreed. Got an email here from Caleb. The subject line is advice for a bad undergrad GPA almost 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm curious what your bad GPA is. <laughs> we get a whole range of opinions about what it's yeah. bad. But anyways, Caleb says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I recently began looking into the possibility of attending law school and discovered your podcast as I researched the LSAT and resources for studying. I was hoping to get some advice from you on the best way forward to pursue a law degree, especially now having the goal to go to the best possible school for free. Sorry, the best school possible for free. In my undergrad years, I frankly didn't take school or learning seriously and developed bad habits that damaged my GPA. I was a smart kid, but didn't work hard and ended up with a 2.68. Yep, that's bad. I left school early to accept a job fully intending to knock out my last couple classes online that summer. Life happened and I wasn't motivated, so I never did. Fast forward to 2020 and although and through the help of a personal mentor slash tutor, a love for learning was ignited and I finished out my final classes easily getting A's in all three. Mm. 
I wish I would have talked to Caleb <clears throat> before Caleb graduated. Yeah. Take more than just three classes. Well, if you didn't file for graduation yet, you might be able to. But if you filed, I mean, you probably did. You just finished it during COVID. Yeah, you, you Caleb, you potentially could have rehabilitated your 2.68 a little bit. But I don't know. It would take kind of a long time, wouldn't it, Ben? You'd have to do like a year I think it of would straight take, A's. Yeah, it would take some time, but you'd have more A's to show. Right? You could say, hey, look, I have a whole semester would, or and two semesters. And it would have rehabilitated the 2.68 somewhat, right? If you yeah, can get yeah. that to a 3.0 somehow. Yeah, get it above three and then show a solid year or whatever of A's. That's better than three A's. Three A's sounds like... Hey, I hyper-focused on school. I dipped in, I got my A's and I left. A whole semester, a whole year of A's shows more. <laughs> yeah. I Anyways, I looked into pursuing a graduate degree at the time, but it wasn't right for my family. Then at this point, it looks like it's it looks like it's time to move on to something new. And my wife and I have been quite drawn to my pursuing law, but we want to do so wisely. I'm now 30 years old and hopefully much wiser, but understand my past poor habits and decisions could make this difficult. I took a blind test on the Demon website today and scored a 161. If I had to self-evaluate, I believe that many of the questions I missed were simply a result of running out of time and being unfamiliar with the testing style. Wow, a 161 cold is gold. Yeah, if that's what he meant by blind, which I think he did, uh, yeah. With no cool. prep, that's an excellent starting score. Yeah, Caleb continues. As I reviewed the test, I was able to get most of the questions correct the second time around. Before this test, my only familiarity with the LSAT has come from listening to the Thinking LSAT podcast and one instance of the two of you walking through an LR question. Beyond that, I had no familiarity going into this. You know, that's <laughs> that might not be much, but... That is a great start. If you listen to us yeah. walk through one LR question, you learn that it's all about <laughs> yeah. understanding and not about, I don't know, diagramming contrapositives or yeah. anything else that could just it's, totally send you down the wrong well, path. It's much better than lots of expensive LSAT courses out there. And it's also better than what you or I used to do 10 years ago. Yep. Right. Like first night of class 10 years ago, I would be confusing you with a bunch of bullshit about sufficient and necessary and the contrapositive and if and only if and all these like real technical things. Yeah. And now 10 years later, it's like, hey, one question at a time. These questions are common sense. Let's figure them out. And uh, well, that's why we, you know, get 25 point improvements out of our students these days when we used to be, you know, we used to think 10 was the number <laughs> 15 was the number. How many did we have on that one thinking LSAT episode? Was it three 31s or two 31s? It was oh, something yeah. weird. No, yeah. We, this last this last cycle, we had three. Well, yeah, I remember what you're talking about. It was on one email, three or one, or one, one episode. Podcast. Yeah, we had yeah. At least two 30-point improvements. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's more than that. I mean, yeah. Okay, so... Um, Nice work on your cold diagnostic. With all of this in mind, what is your best advice for me? At this point in my life, I'm re ready to develop good habits, work hard, and be patient. My wife and I have agreed that we really believe this is the best path to choose. So I'd appreciate your advice in the best steps to move forward. 
Oh, and then you provided your your score from the demon. It says you scored a 161 on November 28th. That was yesterday. Nice work. You got five wrong in logical reasoning, eight wrong in games, and seven wrong in reading comp. That's all great news because if you're getting most of your things wrong in games, that's going to be the easiest place for you to improve. So look, you are going to do very well on this test if you work hard, um, which it sounds like you're committed to doing. That's that's your best way out of this. Get the best damn score you can get. What was your GPA, Nathan? 2.54. Okay. <laughs> so you had a lower GPA than Caleb. You got a 179. In my undergrad years, I frankly didn't take school or learning seriously and developed bad habits that damaged my GPA. <laughs> so you and you and Caleb are brothers in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that diagnostic, Caleb, I think you should insist on a 175. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think anything less than that is going to accurate accurately uh, indicate your aptitude for the test. Um, if you've got the work ethic to do it, uh, games is your weakest section, which makes you an even better than normal, um, candidate for improvement. You left eight points on the table there. Your accuracy across the board, Caleb is, um, not quite as good as what I would be looking for. 80% is okay on logical reasoning, reading comp, not great. 80%, sorry, 79% on the games of the questions you attempted, you got 79% of them, right? You missed four questions that you answered. That's bad. That's, uh, you shouldn't be answering questions on the games that you don't get right. And on LR and RC, it looks like you finished the LR, but since you missed five of them, I think you would have scored higher if you would have done one or two fewer questions, you know, take more time getting them right. And if you have to guess on a couple at the end, that's totally fine. Reading comp, it looks like you didn't quite finish. So you had a couple points that you that you left on the table because you didn't finish. That's fine. The five, though, that you attempted and missed, those are the ones that you've got to slow down during the actual test and just make sure you get them right. So don't be afraid of a couple guesses at the end. You can score in the 170s with a couple guesses at the end. You can't score in the 170s when you're missing, you know, 20 percent of the questions you attempt. Yeah. You know, Caleb asks here, I'm ready to develop good habits, work hard and be patient. And I think, um, well, he was asking what his best path forward is, but I, I would say that when it comes to developing good habits, that means consistently studying one to two hours a day. And when you're studying, making sure you're doing what really matters. And that is doing an official question and then learning as much as you can about that question to the point where you understand it. Once you understand it, then you can move on to the next question. It's not about, oh, how many questions can I check off here? Oh, I'm a hard worker, so I did this many questions. It's no, it's how many questions can you learn when you sit down to study? Yeah, the good but, habit would be review thoroughly the questions you've missed, then consider doing new questions. Yep. It's, it's hard work, but bad habit to just sit down and do question after question after question and not actually learn anything from it. Yeah. Caleb did say, as I reviewed the test, I was able to get most of the questions correct the second time around. Does that mean that Caleb has learned the maximum that he can learn from that question? That he's learned the maximum? What? The maximum. 
Does that mean that he's learned as much as he can learn? No, absolutely not. Right. Just because you got it right the second time doesn't mean you now understand it. You really have to decide, could you explain this to someone else? And specifically, can you tell them why the right answer is right? And can you tell them why the wrong answer that you chose is wrong? You better damn know why that answer doesn't work. Cool. I think that, uh, well, you're in the right place with your demon. You've got at least a demon free account. I would consider doing one of the paid plans. All of our written explanations, all of our videos, those are helpful and available to all the plans. Uh, The top plan is if you want to get some motivation and live help in our live classes. We have multiple live classes seven days a week. Um, How many classes do we have today, Ben? It's Tuesday, probably like five. We had game of the day this morning with Lily. We had perfect 10 with Beth. That's a logical reasoning class. That was at, oh, sorry. um, I should give the East coast times since more people are East coast. So game of the day with Lily, that was at noon, 2 PM, perfect 10 with Beth, 5 30 PM LSAT cross training with Eric. That one covers multiple sections. 7 PM is world's wizardry. Normally with Matt, I think he's probably back there. And yep, that is Matt. And then at 9.30, late night tonight, is guilty or not guilty? That's another logical reasoning question with Kevin. Hmm. So we've got five questions, or sorry, five classes today that are um, some of them earlier, some of them later. Lots of different ways to get help if you want to do the live classes. Yeah. For me, that shit is just motivating. Like I, I like being able to sign up for stuff that I can go show up to. It's, it makes work less it makes it less shitty yep anything more for caleb no good luck we have an email here from mario yeah we've got a very lengthy um but thoughtful email from mario he says hi nathan and ben after listening to episode 339 of your podcast i thought you could also benefit from primary sources that explain why and how the race and ethnicity data is collected and reported by law schools The way that law schools collect and report the data is ultimately based on the standards set by the Office of Management and Budget under the executive branch, not necessarily on citizens' current sentiment, which might have been what we were speculating about on the show. Okay. So a bunch of links here, and we'll figure out how to post these in the show notes, but there's something from federalregister.gov called Final Guidance on Maintaining, Collecting, and Reporting Racial and Ethnic Data to the U.S. Department of Education. Then we have the latest, which was, wow, 1997 huh. OBM revisions to the standards for the classification of federal data on race and ethnicity. That was a obamawhitehouse.archives.gov link. Well, I guess that wasn't Obama that did it then, but um, okay. I don't know why that's has an, maybe that's just the link that uh, Mario <laughs> happened to have. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Obama. If it was 97. Uh, links at the race, White House weren't updated yeah. after the last <laughs> term. I don't know. Defining yeah. race and ethnicity data. That's from the National Center for Education and Statistics for the purposes of law schools data collection. Okay. It says if you're black or African-American, that is a person having origins in any of the black racial groups of Africa. Terms such as Haitian or Negro can be used in addition to black or African-American. 
And then for white, it says a person having origins in any of the original peoples. Oh, my God. Original peoples of Europe, the Middle East or North Africa. Hmm. <laughs> That's what we were talking about. We were talking about yeah. Egypt, right? Yeah. We were talking about North Africa. Yeah. So the data might not reflect an individual's actual race and ethnic identity. As Quinn pointed out, my interpretation is any applicant sorry, an applicant who represents that they are Hispanic or Latino and black or African-American will just be reported as Hispanic of any race. An individual from Egypt who represents that they are not a U.S. permanent resident or U.S. citizen will just be reported as non-resident alien, regardless of their representation on race and ethnicity. The standards, in effect, explain why the latest ABA 509 report from Harvard Law says that only 11 out of 594 individuals who graduated from Harvard Law in 2021 have two or more races. Okay. Another interesting fact is that Hispanics of any race are included in the total number of people of color. (laughs) So you could be Hispanic, Caucasian, person of color. Fortunately, the current administration is reviewing and revising the standards. And then we have a link here. Um, This was June 15th, 2022, called Reviewing and Revising Standards for Maintaining, Collecting, and Presenting Federal Data on Race and Ethnicity by Dr. Karen Orvis, the Chief Statistician of the United States. Damn. (laughs) So it's a statement about what Dr. Karen Orvis is working on. Okay. Lastly, I want to say that I appreciate your work with the podcast and LSAT Demon. Oh, well, thank you, Mario. Um, Appreciate you. Thanks for all the links. This is obviously an issue that Ben and I know nothing about. We are interested in learning more. You, uh, all of the listeners continue to shed light on this issue. What do you think, Ben? The the classifications are what they are. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that the answers for if you're individually looking to check boxes on your law school application, I yeah, if you have an issue like our Egyptian correspondent did, you probably want to look through all of this stuff and figure out how it applies exactly to you. It it seems clear that there is not really that much of a clear. I, I don't think Ben and I don't think it's possible for us to educate ourselves so much that we're able to like just answer questions for people. It seems like they're going to have to go look at this stuff and answer their own questions. What yeah. boxes to check on what application and how many people make mistakes on these boxes anyway. So like <laughs> how much does this matter? <laughs> yeah. Please don't take that as a license to purposely make a mistake because if I'm you- not saying that I'm just saying like <laughs> if someone's, you know, losing sleep over it. It's, it's probably okay to just do what you think is probably your best fit and then move yeah. forward. Like, I don't want you to get stuck on a box <laughs> Yeah, when you're applying to school. That's when all. I'm assembling stuff for my taxes every year, I am reminded of, you know, that study that they did where they gave like 20 CPAs, the exact same yeah. tax filing and they got back 20 different numbers. <laughs> and it's just like, well, okay, you're doing your best, but there's lots of gray. There's just interpretation everywhere. So yeah. you do your best to comply. And then, you know, if you ever get audited, which here it would be like in a character and fitness check down the road somewhere, you want to be able to represent that you did your very best to um, answer the questions truthfully. Yep, exactly. Thanks, Mario, for writing in. We got an email here from Tom. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm applying to law school for fall of 2023 
and wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts on the new hybrid ABA approved programs that are starting to pop up. I'm a small business owner without a law school in my hometown, but I would still like to earn my degree. Two of the schools I have been interested in have seemingly strong programs in place on a hybrid basis, particularly the University of Denver. Do you think a hybrid law school education will still provide the right kind of foundation to be a successful practicing trial lawyer post-graduation? Thank you guys. Love the podcast and I appreciate you taking the time to consider my question. I don't know a lot about these hybrid programs, but I would have the exact same concerns that I would for law schools, just generally. How much is it going to cost you? <laughs> Can you go for free or at least go for very low amounts of money so that your risk is mitigated? And then I'm not so worried about whether it's in person or online. A lot of this is going to come down to your hustle anyway, in terms of what you get out of your education. It's going to come like, it's like a hundred percent based on your hustle. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it if you're bad at self-motivation, sure. but you shouldn't go to law school if you're bad at self-motivation. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not a good place to be for people who don't like, like if you're not, a real grinder, like it's not going to work out for you no matter what, whether you go in person or go online, you've got to be somebody, you got to be a, a good student who really wants to be a good student. Like just you, you want to do everything anybody ever asks you to do and more than go, go to law school, be a lawyer. But if you got any kind of fuck it at all, which that's why grades are a good predictor of how well you're going to do in law school, because the grade, you know, grades don't lie. Four years worth of grades. You can see that I personally have lots of fuck it. That's yeah. why I have real bad undergraduate grades. That's I should have taken that as a sign of like, oh, boy, this is do, really do I want to go to a school where I'm going to just compete with people who are way, way more competitive than I am and really want to get good grades. Um, but yeah, the the learning itself, I mean. We're not going back right to a world where we didn't do this type of online shit. Yeah, we're, I understand we're not in full lockdown pandemic mode anymore, but there's things that have changed that are never changing back. Uh, like there's going to be judges who are like, no, I'm going to go ahead and keep my courtroom online. It's yeah. better. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be law firms that are going to be like, yeah, totally work from home. I don't care. Do your work. Yeah. Why, we can meet online. Sc <laughs> why scurry across town when you can just hop on a Zoom call and then be done as soon as you're done? Yeah, it's easier on Zoom. It's better on Zoom. A million ways it's better on Zoom. Yeah. I mean, we can still have a. We can still meet in person when we feel like we need to, but for standard day to day business, you're doing it online. So I have no problem with these. And there's more and more of these programs. I just found a uh, link on Google that tells me that there are currently nine online programs for 2022 Loyola University School of Law has a weekend hybrid JD that's the Loyola in Chicago so the Probably hybrid doesn't matter since they, you're doing it online oh yeah, well it does well, matter because you're going to have to go to Chicago for some weekends yeah they're going to require you to come in for a certain amount of time and the initial ones that we read about required a decent amount of in-person FaceTime I was surprised it was like five hours a week or something crazy like that or two hours a week or you know I we're going to have to go dig into the actual you know, school. Yeah. yeah. So check out Loyola University Weekend Hybrid JD. Chicago is an awesome place to go for a weekend every once in a while. 
And, you know, that could be great. Mitchell yeah. Hamlin School of Law is offering an online hybrid JD. That's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Both of these first two programs are part time, by the way. Seton Hall in Newark, New Jersey. Weekend online JD. Part time. And there is one entirely online program. That one we read about a couple episodes ago. Yeah, let me get through this list and see if it's on there. Oh yeah, okay. Southwestern yeah, Law School has a part-time evening G and part-time evening JD, and I guess it also has online components. Syracuse University has an interactive online JD. These are all part-time programs. Interesting. Turo in Central Islip, New York, has a flex time hybrid JD. Flex time is all one word, Ben, except for time has a capital T. Flex time. Ooh, flex time. I got a flex time <laughs> JD. <laughs> University of Dayton, Ohio has an online hybrid JD. University of Denver has a hybrid JD. Still just, yeah, all part-time programs. And then University of New Hampshire has a hybrid JD. Where's the uh, online only? I forget. I forget too, but I thought it was in Arizona. It doesn't matter. It's online only. It's online <laughs> only. So it's You just online. have to find it. <laughs> yeah. How stupid are we? Um, okay. Got it. Uh, I would look. So what is our correspondent is talking about Denver specifically? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Particularly the University of Denver. Okay. So now I'm going to go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. I'm going to look for University of Denver. I'm going to click on the little PDF icon that shows me their 509 report. I'm going to scroll down. I'm going to see that they have a full-time and a part-time program. The part-time program has slightly lower LSAT numbers, same median, but one point lower 75th percentile, two points lower 25th percentile, a little bit wider range of people that are getting into the part-time program. Grades are also a little bit lower and there is significantly, the median is significantly lower. So 3.64 for the full-time program, 3.37 for the part-time program. So easier to get in uh, by like a lot easier to get into the part-time program. Yeah. Interesting. And then the important part is down here under grants and scholarships, 2020, 2021 of their full-time students, 13% get full tuition, 29% get half to full, but of the part-time students, 9% are getting full tuition and 17% are getting half to full. No oh, more great. than full tuition at that school at all. Well, oh, no more than full. But still, 9% are getting full tuition. I, I think that's unusual for part-time programs. I'm not totally sure, but I have this feeling that a lot of part-time programs don't give out the same scholarships that they do for their full-time programs. So the fact that 9% are getting a full ride is great news. Like, go get that. <laughs> yeah. I think this is great. Did you finish reading Tom's email? I did. Okay. Yep. Oh yeah. And his question is, will it provide the right kind of foundation to be successful, a successful practicing trial lawyer post-graduation? Yep. Just as long as you do the work. <laughs> I can't think of any reason why that won't work. Yep. I mean, you don't do shit like uh, trial ad, a uh, trial advocacy was a, um, an elective at my school. I didn't take it. As far as like the core classes, you know, it doesn't it makes no difference whatsoever whether you're learning contracts and torts and 
crim and civil procedure and all that stuff. It just there's makes no difference whatsoever, whether you're in person or online. Yeah. Could be better. Hey, this is awesome. I mean, small business owner gets to stay at home, keep stay, stay home with friends and family. Keep your business going. Do a hybrid program or online only program. Get a scholarship. I, that's just nothing but win, I think. Yeah. We got an email here from Nicholas. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I started my LSAT journey in September and have only used the Demon to prepare. I'm currently a junior in college with a 3.71 GPA, planning to get all A's till I apply next cycle, putting school first and LSAT second. Good. I'm smiling because <laughs> Nicholas has taken our advice. That's all yep. great. I took my diagnostic under normal time conditions, scoring 131, as I was unsure if I could get testing accommodations. I'm pretty confident I will be able to get accommodations now that I have a letter from my psychiatrist and psychologist to prove ADHD through a psych evaluation. That's wildly overkill. There's no way you're not going to get accommodated. Yep. I've improved by about 20 points, scoring in the low 150s using time and a half. I have two questions. One, I'm a live subscriber to The Demon. I've done a minimum of one or two hours a day of self-study, and now I'm trying to attend one class a day on top of self-study. Would you change anything about how I am attacking prep? I want to ensure I best utilize the next eight to 10 months I have to study. What do you think about that plan? Well... It makes me a little nervous because it feels like Nicholas is falling into this trap of there's a rule and I got to figure out what the rule is and then follow that rule. The rule being one class and then one to two hours of study every day. Yeah. And it's going to depend a lot on your life, Nicholas. And as you've already acknowledged, your grades. So maybe some days all you can do is come to class. We always do practice problems in class. So you're going to get official LSAT questions done in that time period. And then on other days, you may not have time for class, depending on when the classes are scheduled, although we do have four or five, six every day. So yeah, probably something will fit your schedule. But even if it doesn't, um, then you can just go ahead and do your hour or two of self-study. Uh, I wouldn't over-engineer this. I would just make sure that every day... You're doing something as long as everything else for school is done. And by done, I mean you're you're done with things that are due tomorrow and this week and you are looking ahead and know what's down the road, right? You don't want to be too short-sighted with your schoolwork. That's all. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, if you were going to cut anything out of that schedule, you know, the, the live classes, I think the live classes are great if you're participating and if you're asking questions and if you're like really fully on board. But sometimes I see people who are clearly just sitting back and just passively there, like they're not really engaging. I'll, I'll give them a question and they'll yeah, immediately they'll send stumble. me back the wrong yeah. answer. And it's yeah. just like, well, wait a second. You you answered that really quickly. You you're not getting it right. You're what are you doing? Like, you're not, I, I asked you to take your time and think about this and you just then fired back with a wrong answer. That's not, or, you know, camera off, never raise their hand, never participate in the chat, never, you're not, you know, they're not doing anything. And I, I do understand that there's times where you, you just want to sit back and watch the show and that, that's fine. But 
much better if you can actively participate in those classes. I would say if you ever find yourself not actively participating in the class, then that might have been the one that you should have cut. Yeah. Number two, Nicholas says, is a score of 170 plus unattainable with someone scoring as low as the 130s for their diagnostic? I'm not sure how many points time and a half would have added to that first diagnostic. Well, it would have added a lot. I mean, well, probably a lot. Probably 10. From a 131, I, I would think potentially 10, yeah. Like, you, you're just... If you, if, because I think that it might immediately make you approach the test differently. A little more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Just like taking your time on the earlier, easier ones and realizing that they're easy. And once you realize that they're easy, then you just kind of keep letting the test be easy. And so who knows? I mean, that diagnostic could have been 145 with extra time. Yeah. And we just don't know. I wouldn't think about it. Just keep going up until you're not willing to work on it anymore. Nicholas says, thank you for making the LSAT something I look forward to doing daily. I have nothing but amazing things to say about the demon and the live classes I have attended. Best Nicholas. Thanks, Nicholas. That's great. Um, We've seen people go from the 130s to the 170s. It's rare, but it happens. I don't know. Sky's the limit. I, but I would for sure I wouldn't be looking at that 170. I would be looking at, hey, you're in the low 150s right now. Let's get into the 160s. <laughs> well, let's get some 155s, you know, let's yeah. get some 159s and then let's get some low 160s. But let's just think about the baby steps, like instead of eight to 10 months plan to get a 170, <laughs> it's like, well, what are you doing in the next eight to 10 days? To get to the high 150s, I think would be a better way to look at it. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 